Good morning. So good to see everyone as uh, it is each week, and uh, thanks for joining us at home as well. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here, and just thankful that we can be together. Last week we began our series Rhythms, and we looked at devotion, uh, daily devotion to the Word of God, getting to know God through His Word. And this last week, hopefully you're able to start to practice that rhythm. Uh, if it felt kind of uh, like it wasn't a rhythm, that's pretty normal. Uh, if you're getting into a rhythm, you got to build. And uh, this week I ran into someone who said, hey, I remember your five big ideas. And they named it right in the place. They said, you said to pray, to read, to meditate, to pray again, and then apply. And I was like, that is awesome, and asked how it was going, and they were able to share. And so I remind you again that you pray and read and meditate and pray and apply the Word of God because it's a way that we get to know God in a personal way, in an intimate way. And this week we are talking about the rhythm of prayer. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, so if you want to turn there with me, I invite you, uh, or pull that up on your phone or your tablet, whatever uh, you so choose. But when it comes to prayer, prayer quite possibly could be the area where you feel the weakest, or you feel like you have the most opportunity for growth. I think it's something that I evaluate in my own life, and I'm like, man, I have a long ways to go in this, and, and I want to grow more in prayer. And we may feel guilty of how we pray or how frequently we pray or do not pray, or we have these questions that come up when we're praying or after we pray. We may be like, well, was, was it not long enough? Was that too short? Um, well, I prayed alone. Should I pray with other people? Um, should I pray at set times throughout the day, or should it just be whenever I think of it? Uh, should I kneel like we just knelt here, or should I stand? Should I sit? What's appropriate? Uh, should it be a written prayer that people have prayed for hundreds of years, or should it just be from the heart? Uh, should it be in the morning or in the evening or at noon? And the answer is yes. Yes. So allow me to relieve any sort of guilt that you are walking in here with, is that God's heart is that we pray. And you have been told a million ways to pray or how to pray or how not to pray. God wants you to pray. And then what happens is when we pray, if you're anything like me, I get distracted very easily. I'll be praying and then all of a sudden it's like that squirrel moment. Squirrel! And I'll get back and I'll start focusing. Squirrel! So what do I do with that? What do I do with those thoughts? Do I pray about those? Do I write them down? Do I address them? What do I do? Yes, pray. Pray. Develop the rhythm and the habit of prayer. Because prayer was central to Jesus' life. We see Jesus praying many times in Scripture. Let me give you a few examples of when Jesus thought it was appropriate to pray. It'll be on the screen here. Yep, there we go. So when Jesus was alone, he prayed. When he was in public, he prayed. Before meals, he prayed. Before important decisions, he prayed. He prayed before healings. He prayed at regular times withdrawing from crowds. He prayed after healing. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed before traveling. He prayed before he chose his disciples, while speaking to the Jewish leaders, before feeding the 5,000, before walking on water, while healing a deaf and mute man, before feeding the 4,000, at the transfiguration, before raising Lazarus from the dead, while he was with the little children at the Last Supper. Prayed for Peter, prayed for himself, prayed for us, prayed for his disciples. Before his betrayal, he prayed. While on the cross, he prayed. In his dying breath, he prayed. After his resurrection, he prayed. And before his ascension, he prayed. Jesus prayed, right? He prayed often. And that's just an example of some of the times that we see Jesus praying in Scripture. 
Author and pastor R.A. Torrey said this. He said, Jesus prayed early in the morning as well as at night. He prayed both before and after great events in his life. And that he prayed when life was unusually busy. Those times when we just don't have time to pray. Jesus prayed. Prayer was central to Jesus. And prayer is central to us as we walk and we follow in the ways of Jesus, as we become his disciples, as we apprentice after him, as we know what it means to follow Jesus and ultimately follow God. So we will pause here to pray. And what I'd ask you to do in this moment is that you would recognize the presence of God, that you would pause from all the busyness of getting here this morning and things you had to do, things you still have to do, and that you would recognize the presence of God, that you would breathe, take a breath, and that as we sit in the silence here, is that you just adore God. Thank God for who he is. Recognize his presence. Just pause. So let's pause and then I'll lead us. Father God, Lord, we recognize your presence here today. Lord, your word says where two or three are gathered, you're present as well. God, we want to give you thanks that you care about us. Lord, that you are compassionate and kind, that you are holy, that you are merciful, that you are mighty. Your stronghold, or that you are love. And so, as we hear these words, I, I pray that we would receive them as a gift of love from you, but a calling unto yourself. Lord, we thank you for prayer and the opportunity to be still. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, prayer. There's so much that can be said about prayer. And in our short, limited time here today, there's no way we'll accomplish it all. And so today, I want us to think of prayer uh, maybe in a slightly different way, or at least set some foundation for some places we'll be going in the coming weeks. Is to not think of prayer just as an opportunity for answers, but rather as an opportunity to draw near to the heart of God. So often what we pray is we pray asking God to protect our family and for healing and for all these different things. But I want to encourage us to consider prayer as an opportunity to draw near to God himself. So the more we pray, the more we realize that it's never been about 
getting answers from God, but really it's been about getting God himself, drawing near to him. This is what Jesus did in Scripture. This is what we see of why he returned to the Father again and again and again. It's not just for answers, but for God, for that relationship. See, we discover what Jesus has always known about prayer, is that it's about God, and it's about the intimacy with him, the company, the presence of him. And the disciples noticed this. They, they noticed Jesus praying differently. Because prayer permeated society. Prayer was everywhere. The, the disciples grew up praying and being taught to pray and how not to pray and, and everything that goes with that. But when they were with Jesus, apprenticing to his way, they said something to him. They said, teach us to pray. I think they noticed something different from Jesus. This connection with the Father and how often he prayed and how he prayed which was different from others. And what Jesus responded to this request is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it's recorded two different times in Scripture. I'm sure he taught that many other times. But one time is in Matthew. This is the more familiar passage that you would often pray if you've been around it, you pray in church, pray personally, whatever it may be. And what we're going to do is during Lent, leading up to Easter, is we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer from Matthew. We're going to look into it and see what it has to say about forgiveness and our needs and, and how we relate to the world. But we're not going to talk about that element of prayer today. Is we're going to look at Luke 11. It's a, a less familiar uh, approach to the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to read through that. And what I want to focus on is what Jesus taught after the Lord's Prayer this morning. So in Luke 11... This is what the word says, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't even get, I can't get up and give you anything. So let's just pause there for a moment before we go on. A few weeks ago, I shared with you uh, about a strong group society and a weak group society. So again, just a quick refresher if you are here, is that the strong group society is community first. It is what is good for the whole, then it's the individual. A weak group society is me-centric, is all about the individual. I will make my decisions, and then how it impacts everyone else, it just happens. And so every culture, except for the modern West, being the United States and Europe, has been a strong group society where it's the community first. And Jesus taught and wrote and lived in, Jesus didn't write, his disciples and others wrote in the time of a strong group society. But I read from a weak group society perspective, just like maybe you did. Let's go back to this passage here. A friend comes to you at midnight. He's knocking on your door. Is that person a friend anymore? 
No, you're bugging me. Stop ringing my doorbell. Stop knocking on my door. And then he says, a, a friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And I'm like, seriously, did you not get bread at your, your last trip to the grocery store, right? I don't want to get out of bed and give you some bread because you did not plan well. What am I doing? I'm thinking through a weak group society lens about me. You're inconveniencing me. Don't bother me. But Jesus says something here in verse 8 that shows the importance of the society that he's in and how and who the neighbor is and ultimately what we can learn about prayer too. In verse 8, it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Okay, so shameless audacity, it's quite the phrase there. It is often translated as boldness or persistence. And often what we can read from this, and maybe we've heard before, is that if you just pester your neighbor enough, if you just keep knocking, eventually he's going to get up and give you some bread. But what does this have to say about prayer? Is this what Jesus is teaching about prayer? Is Jesus saying, if you just bug God enough, he's finally going to give in and give you what you want? Is that how Jesus is painting God there? And does it paint a picture of God who is involved and interested and cares about you and your needs? Or does it paint a picture of a God who's kind of like, yeah, I see you need, but hmm, all right. Where you just have to continually bother God. What does this say about prayer? The shameless audacity, it means this. A literal translation is without shame. You may have a footnote in your Bible that says, uh, says something uh, like uh, to persevere or to preserve his good name. So without shame, it means this. This is why the neighbor gets up, not because of friendship, but because he wants to keep a good name. In a high honor-based society, the neighbor does not want a bad name. And not only would it be a bad neighbor to not get up and give the bread, it would bring shame on the whole community. Because the character of that neighbor is then the character of the entire community. So if he wouldn't get up, it would bring shame that the, the neighbor in the community is not hospitable, is not caring, is not kind, is not involved in the lives of each other. So he gets out of bed because the reputation is online. Online. And so when Jesus teaches this connecting to prayer, what is he saying? What is it about character of why he answers prayer? Well, Sky Jathani, he writes some commentary on this. He says, this contradicts virtually every religious impulse in every person in every culture. We want to believe that a prayer succeeds or fails because of a person praying. Like if I just say it enough or if I'm in the right spot, if I kneel, if I stand, if I pray for a long time, if I pray for a short time, we want to believe that it's because of the person praying, because of that person's holiness, righteousness, or devotion. But Jesus says it's not about us at all. Instead, prayer is received and answered because our Heavenly Father is holy and righteous and because he's devoted to us, we do not have to convince God to act on our behalf. The prayer and prayer is not a religious way of nagging God. 
Prayer at its most fundamental level is simply asking God to be God. God, you're faithful. Lord, you want the best for me, and I trust you. It's what you've said. It's who you are. It's not because I knelt. It's not because I prayed for an hour and a half and said the same thing again and again and again. It's because who you are, God. It's, it's how I know you. You are faithful. You are true. There's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, which will be on the screen here in just a moment. Israel had once again sinned against God. They were making choices that were sinful against God. And God was the God of the Israelites. And he blessed them and he also disciplined them. And the Israelites were to be a light to the nations, meaning that when another nation looked upon them, they would see God in his holiness, in who God is, that he was faithful to the people, but yet he had also disciplined when they would go a different way. They were to be an example. And so God replies to their sin. In verse 22, it says this. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm about to do these things to save them, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So God saves the Israelites because that's who God is not because of who the Israelites are or were. So Jesus, when he's teaching in Luke 11, his disciples would have this background knowing who God is, that what he said is true and that he's faithful. And so they would have this in mind, and, and Jesus continued to teach in Luke 11, if you still have that before you. Verse 9 says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So what Jesus is teaching, he's saying, Hey, ask, seek, knock. You as a dad, Chris, you want to give your kids good things. He's saying, even, even though you're evil, there's sin, how much more will God want to give good gifts to his children? But I want to do a hard stop here. Because this passage can be read as God just rubber stamping everything. Good, good. You want a new car? Great. You want to be healed? Great, here you go. You want to be debt-free? Great, here you go. But you and I know that's not the experience. That you have prayed for healing, but yet you still have that disease. You have prayed for a relationship to be restored, but it's still broken. You have prayed for debt to go away, but you are still sitting in debt. And you have asked, and you have sought, and you have knocked. And you're like, what is going on? I thought, God, I thought you were good. I thought you were faithful. 
I thought you cared about me. And there's just this snowball of negativity and things just going around. God, maybe you're not even real. But Jesus, he prayed a prayer for deliverance on the cross. Jesus, God's only son, said, take this cup from me. Essentially saying, no, I don't want to die on the cross here. This is painful. This is hard. Take this cup from me. But then he says this. He says, not my will, but your will. Jesus, God's only son, he asked, he sought, and he knocked. And the father said, I have a different plan. I'm still good, but I have a different plan. And as you may have heard before, that God hears and answers every single prayer. With three different answers. Yes, no, and wait. And we do not like no, and we do not like wait. We just want a yes, right? I prayed that prayer. I need the yes now. There's been many prayers that I've prayed throughout my life that I thought was best for my life and my family's life. And I'm like, God, you have to answer that as a yes right now. And it was not a yes. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh, yep, you were faithful. You were good. You were true. And that, that, that was hard, that season. But God, you gave me what I needed. And this is the same thing with any parent who does a good job with their kids, is you should not say yes to every single thing your kid asks. That is not good parenting. Your kids don't know what they need. Although in my household, there are yes days, which Joanna participates in with the kids. Uh, and I just can't handle those days. Uh, but she is that yes day person. And, uh, and they love her for that. But we don't give our kids everything they ask for. Because in the short run, it is like, yes, mom and dad, you love me. Yes, this is so good. This is great. Long term, it's damaging. If you get a yes to everything you want in the moment that you think it's right. And so there's the reality that the Father is providing for our needs, and he also gives limits, and he also allows us to walk through things for us to learn and to draw near to him, to draw near to the Father, because God is good. He cares for you. He cares for me. God wants to give us what is life-giving and good, and it doesn't come when we think it should. So what does this have to do with prayer? Well, for one thing, it takes the pressure off of prayer. All the, the guilt and the shame of like, I didn't pray right, or I didn't pray enough, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do this, or if I had only, you know, not done X, Y, and Z, and I'd only done this, and if I'd only given a little bit more, and if I'd only read this much more in my Bible, then God would have answered it the way that I wanted it. No, it takes the pressure off of that. And what it does is it gives us permission, as we sang earlier, to run to the Father, to fall into his embrace, to say that I trust you. God, this is, this is my desire. Yes, these are the things I'm praying for. Yes, this is my heart, but make my heart like your heart. I trust you. You're good. And I know that you will answer. You will get up like that person at the midnight. You will get up and you will answer it in the way that you desire. 
for you are faithful and you are true. In Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Think of the word boldness. Think of the word shameless audacity. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of, what's that word? Need. Not want. Need. See, prayer is about drawing near to God. Prayer is about knowing the character of God, the heart of God. Prayer is about receiving his grace and his mercy when our world is falling apart and also when our world is wonderful. Prayer is about receiving him. Prayer is about my heart being aligned to his heart. There's a book that has been referenced throughout the years. Pastor Girton has referenced it many times. I've referenced it a few times. It's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It is about that thick. It is tiny, but it is a powerhouse. It's by Brother Lawrence. And as I reread that this week, there's a passage that I came upon, and I just thought he understands prayer. Like, this is the heart of prayer. And this is what he said. He said, this king who is full of goodness and mercy doesn't punish me. Rather, he embraces me lovingly and invites me to eat at his table. He serves me himself and gives me the keys to his treasury, treating me as his favorite. He converses with me without mentioning either my sins or his forgiveness. My former habits are seemingly forgotten. Although I beg him to do whatever he wishes with me, he does nothing but caress me. This is what being in his holy presence is like. Is this how you view prayer? Even as I read that again here just now, I have the, the questions of like, but what about, but what about, but what about? But the Father God wants relationship and connection and communion with you through prayer. Yes, all those other things are dealt with and they're there and they're important and we're gonna talk about those in the coming weeks. But this is the baseline for prayer, is intimacy with God. This is the heartbeat of prayer. It's what Jesus knew and what God desires for us to know. And so this morning, I want us to practice this just for a moment, a few minutes. Last week, I encouraged you to take the word and to slowly read it and meditate on it and pray on it. And really, the rhythm that we talked about last week, this rhythm just goes right with it. It runs right along with it. Earlier, one of the guys mentioned praying the Psalms, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So we're going to pray a Psalm this morning. We're not going to the Psalm or to the Word or to God looking for answers. We're just going to rest in the presence of God here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a verse or two at a time. And I'm just going to ask that you would reflect on the words. They're going to be on the screen. You can reflect on the words. And that you would maybe pray the words directly back to God. Or maybe you grab a word 
and you would wrestle with that for a moment. And maybe there's something that you're going to hear that you're, you've just rejected. It's like, no, that can't be true about me. That can't be true about God. That you pray, communicate with God. But ultimately in this is that you seek the heart of the Father. So again, I'm going to read a verse or two. I'm going to pause. And in that pause, you just reflect on the words, pray them, um, but draw near to the heart of God. And as I said in the first service, is that if this feels really sloppy as you go through it and just kind of like disjointed and you're like, ah, I just, I'm not getting this. Rhythms take time to build. So if it's something that you're starting off with and you're trying to do and this isn't a natural rhythm or not a built rhythm, it's going to feel sloppy. So don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. All right. Let's pause for a moment just to uh, let our minds and hearts rest. And then I'll begin by reading the first verse. The psalmist wrote, the psalmist prayed, You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Jesus, pause. Lord God, as we pause here today, we just look at this first verse of a few we're going to look at. Lord, we recognize that you are the God who wants to be desired, who wants to be sought, and that you are the one who refreshes us. So Lord Jesus, refresh us because of who you are. The psalmist continues in verse 2. I have seen you in, your sanctuary, in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power and your glory.
God, as we gather in this sanctuary, pray that your power and glory, Lord, by your Spirit's power, is just being revealed. Because, Lord, we recognize that you are the God of all power and glory. Psalmist continues in the next two verses. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Almighty God, you are worthy of our praise and our worship. Lord, you are <clears throat> the God of all loving kindness, which is truly better than life. God, thank you. Verse 5, the psalmist writes, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, the singing Lips, my mouth will praise you. God, you are a God who satisfies our deepest places when we hunger and thirst for you. Thank you that you fill us. Psalmist continues, says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of night because you are my help. I sing in the shadows of your wings. Would you take a moment and reflect and pray? God, we recognize the fact that rest is so often what we desire when we lay our heads down at night. But Lord, our minds can race and think upon many different things. And Lord, I thank you that you are present then. Lord, that you help us. Lord, help us to rest in the shadow of your wings. Lord, to sing your praises. Psalmist continues by saying, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down in the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. 
All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Would you take a moment and pray? Father God, you are our strength, our defense, our life support system. And God, you are truth and justice. And so Jesus, may we lean into you. May we rest to the Father. Lord, even in these moments that we were here, God, I pray that a word or a phrase God, would be just sunk deep into each of our hearts, to our minds. Lord, a truth of who you are. Lord, because we prayed, because we sought you, because you invited us to your table. Lord, you care for each one of us more than we can possibly imagine. And so, Lord, this week as we walk in this rhythm of both daily devotion to the word and just how tightly prayer ties into that. Lord, I pray that we would discover your heart of who you are. And God, that we would replicate that in our own life. Lord, thank you for these few moments where we can pray the words of the psalmist and just as you led us. Lord, thank you for your love and your care and your mercy and your grace and that we can approach you with confidence, with boldness, with shameless audacity. So, Lord, we love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So this week, I want to encourage you is to walk in this rhythm, is that if you have a list of things you're praying for, yes, yes, pray that. But go to the heart of the Father. Rest in his presence. Rest in him, knowing who he is and who he desires for you to be as you follow along and you walk with him. I want to share one last verse, and then uh, I believe Nick's going to come and share some announcements. I want to share words that God spoke over the Israelites, and we see the heart of the Father here, uh, that he's the same as he was then, he is today. So I want you to hear these words as just an encouragement to you, uh, as a ascending to you. And this is from Jeremiah chapter 29. It says this, you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I want to remind you, the Lord is not hiding from us. He is close. So may we be people who seek after him.